Welcome to the New School at Commonweal, a collaborative learning project exploring nature, culture, and consciousness. Join us now for a conversation with Pete Myers and Keith Hansen, hosted by Michael Lerner. This conversation was recorded at their art opening in the Commonweal Gallery and is titled Surf to Sierras and Beyond, Bird Photographs and Drawings. Well, welcome to you all. It's a joy to have uh, the community gathered again. Um, this is going to be brief because we want to let you continue to look at this extraordinary show. Um, my name is Michael Lerner. Um, I am uh, a co-founder with Burr Hanneman of Commonweal. Burr is here. I'm honored and delighted to say, and he knows perhaps a million more times about birds than I do. In fact, I'm probably one of the least knowledgeable people about birds in this room today. Um, I'm honored to have uh, Keith Hansen and Pete Myers uh, here with us. This is their show. Um, it is a stunning and extraordinary uh, uh, set of images, and uh, we're just very grateful that they chose to put it up. Uh, I'd like to ask uh, both uh, Pete and Keith uh, to say just a little bit about what the piece of work that each of them has put up uh, means for them right now. What is, what is it that we're looking at? And Pete, since you're less known in Bolinas than Keith is, I'll, I'll ask you to start. Thank you, Michael. And thank you for hosting yeah. the show and this event. And I'm so grateful for all of you uh, to come out along Mesa Road to Commonweal, which is an, an organization, an institution I've known for at least 20 years, more than 20, and enjoy every second I get to spend here. Um, and it's an honor and a privilege to actually have a show here. Um, I should add that I got my PhD at uh, University of California working at the Bodega Marine Laboratory up the coast a little bit. There's several friends from the Marine Lab here today. Um, and I, my work there was on shorebirds. Um, so I spent a lot of time on Limantour and other beaches on Point Reyes. Many of the photographs here are from that air, from this area, although the flamingos are not, in case any of you wondered. Um, here's what I was trying to do. And I, I don't want to sound pretentious or anything, but I, I was inspired by Georgia O'Keeffe. Because if you think about what she did, she took tiny things and made them huge, and that allowed you to see things that you would never have seen. Uh, she wrote, I'll read a quote from her, when you take a flower in your hand and really look at it, it's your world for the moment. And I, Georgia O'Keeffe, want to give that world to someone else. And so what I was trying to do with the photographs was to let you see something about those birds that you never would normally see because there they are, they're ignoring me, they're revealing aspects of their plumage, of light, of their behavior. If you're just casually going through the world, you won't see. And so I've been so pleased as I've talked to several people in the room, they got that. They realized that there, there was something about the personality of the birds, um, something about the, how they were posed or what they were doing uh, that uh, 
gave them gave the viewer some insight into that bird's personality and being. So that's what I was trying to do. Wonderful. Keith, what about you? What were you trying to do with the show? Well, it's funny that you, that you'd pick that quote from George O'Keefe because I'd never heard that, but I kind of, you know, I think maybe a lot of artists or photographers feel that way, and that is to to evoke the beauty that you see and that you assimilate. And first of all, thank you to Commonweal and thank you for, for hosting us. And it's so great to see you all here. And so many friends and, and people that I've come to know over the years and people that I haven't seen here in many, many years. So thank you for hosting this and uh, for, uh, you know, boy, the space is just so, so magnificent. So it's, it's a real honor to be here. And it's especially an honor to be showing with, with Pete Myers and the gorgeous photography that, that he has now share, is sharing with us. Um, you know, I'm so um, captivated <laughs> and driven by by the beauty of birds that that I just feel like if I can reflect it back and bounce it back. I was talking to somebody earlier about that, and it's just like, you know, who is it for me to assume that that I could even really try and do that? But if I if I am able to do it, I feel like I know the birds maybe better than I know how to paint them. And through years of trying and trying and trying and learning how to capture light and feathers and all those different things, if I can bounce back and people look at the birds, maybe someone that doesn't know the bird and say, wow, what, what is that? That's called a flicker. Where do you see those? Africa? No, they're in your backyard. In fact, I hear one right now. Really? Those things are around here? They look like that? Do they really look like that? And so it's that kind of um, response from people that I really just kind of nurtures me. And uh, if I can share the beauty that, that the birds give me and reflect it back, then that's, for me, the, the greatest gift that hopefully I can give. So that's kind of what what drives me as an artist, but all of the art is for a book on birds of the Sierra Nevada that I've been working on for many, many years, and I don't know if you want me to go into that right now, but <laughs> that's a long process. Mark, Mark will go into so, that. Yeah. Well, actually, Keith, what I'd like to ask you is um, I often go into your shop downtown and see this little video screen that's connected to a high-power lens and your scope and you're looking at, at birds and so on. I'd love you to tell us, I mean, you, clearly this is, a, for both of you, a deep life passion, a deep life passion, and your art reflects that passion. What is it like for you in, say, a typical day or a day that you might pick uh, to both go about your life and stay aware of birds in your environment? What is it like, say, you get up in the morning, uh, do you start looking around for birds? What well, do you do? Always. In fact, just today when we were, uh, it's so funny, I, I've, I, have met, I had met Pete many, many years ago in Cape May, New Jersey, when I was asked by a woman, Susan Drennan, if I would consider doing illustrations for a quarterly publication called, I think it was American it, Birds. It was American Birds. It's now called North American Birds. And there was the Ken Kaufman write-up, the uh, Pete Myers, and Pete Dunn, and they had hired me to do the artwork for that, and that was where I met Pete. But then, you know, skip ahead 30 years or whatever, I'm in front of the Coast Cafe slurping down some coffee, and Pete sees these things, and, and he's like, whoa, what are those, you know? <laughs> um, are you a bird watcher? Yeah. What's your name, Keith? Oh, 
are you Keith Hansen? And, and so we started talking, and then I think he would talk to either Burr or Michael about getting together and doing the show. Yeah. And so, but, you know, a typical day involves going to the Coast Cafe, getting a cup of coffee, get my engines jump-started, and then my wife, Patrice, and I usually do a, a loop through, um, I'm doing a carbon-free big year, trying to see how many species of birds I can see in a year without using a car. So while she's walking, I'm bird-dogging around her on my bike, trying to get this, that, and the other bird. <laughs> oh, honey, there's an orange crown warbler. And she keeps up her stride and keeps cruising at a good clip. And um, so the day kind of starts in that way with, you know, and then Peter Pyle usually comes by and we chat about this, that, or the other bird that's that's appeared in town or uh, anywhere in North America that that day that's new. <laughs> so... And then, and then when I get into the gallery, it's just what's the what's the commission at hand, you know, whether it's writing the field guide or doing more illustrations or or whatever. So, it it's all assimilated, and you know, Bolinas is like the perfect place for the hub for birds and bird watchers and things like that. So it's a it's a great environment, and and the place feeds me. So how many? Th- these are very ignorant questions, but how many kinds of birds have you seen in the course of your? Life. <laughs> well, there's about 10,000 birds on Earth. Okay. And there's about what 985 for North America, U.S. and Canada. So about a tenth of the world bird, of the world's birds live in mm-hmm. North America. My gallery is 224 species just mm-hmm. from that room. So l- nearly a quarter of all of North America's birds from 16 by 25 feet. Um, Marin, to Sandy, where's Dave? Peter, anybody know how many birds are in Marin? Was it 500 or four? 400 and something. So we live, I always like to tell people there have been more species of birds seen in the Point Reyes National Seashore, not even Marin County, but just Point Reyes, than in 44 of the 50 states. There's only six states in the Union that have a bigger state list than just Point Reyes National Seashore. Um, it's the, the confluence of the, the ocean, the mountains, the lagoon, freshwater, saltwater, uh, you know, the San Andreas Fault, and everything all kind of coming together in this one small area that blesses us with such a diversity. Great. Pete, uh, you and I have known each other for a long time. You're on the board of the Jennifer Altman Foundation, which is a small foundation that also supports Commonweal's work. Uh, but uh, you have been long a, a national force in environmental philanthropy. You were the president of the W. Alton Jones Foundation, which was one of the most creative, large, mid-sized foundations in the United States. Uh, you are responsible, along with Theo Colburn, for putting the issue of endocrine-disrupting chemicals on the map nationally. And any of you who've seen the sort of banned bisphenol A stuff, that all came from Pete. Uh, Pete's colleague Tyrone Hayes is here today. Tyrone, could you raise your hand? Tyrone is a hero in endocrine disruptor research also. Uh, uh, Pete, uh, so Pete uh, uh, does his bird work as a, uh, in addition to a, a very full-time career, both in philanthropy and as the editor of Environmental Health News, which is the sort of Bible of those of us who follow uh, uh, these environmental issues, you put that out every day. Uh, so, um, but I know, the one thing I know about your work habit in Virginia, where you live, is that you have a, a platform of some kind at the edge of your property, and you work outside so you can watch for birds. Do I have that basically right? <laughs> yeah. So, how many birds have you seen from your platform or around your <laughs> I, Virginia? I live in a bird-poor area. 
Uh-huh. Uh, Keith sees more birds in a day than I see in a year in the county I live in. Um, but I see some nice birds. If yeah. you look at that, that owl that's back there, uh-huh. that's a, that bird has been in my backyard every day for the last four months. Wow. Um, and I, as I walk from my house to where I do my work, I can look up in the pine tree and, and see him or her or him. Um, but the way I integrate this with my work, in addition to a platform in the woods, which I don't use when it's under 52 or raining, because um, <laughs> uh, it doesn't have a roof, um, I, uh, you look at the hummingbird over there, not the one from Sissy Field, Chrissy Field, but the one that's uh, beside the owl. To get that photograph, um, I set my computer up to do my day job on my deck beside my feeder, my hummingbird feeder. And he would come in about once every five minutes. And so he comes in, I pause for my day job, take 30 photographs, because I have a really fast camera, and then go back to my day job. Um, So there are all sorts of ways that I can get the two of of these things to commingle, coexist. Uh, you also travel a lot, so there are photographs from Dubai, from, uh, let's see. Switzerland. Uh, from Switzerland, yeah. from here. So what has your life uh, uh, exposure or contact with different bird species been? What, what are Again, you it's puny compared to uh-huh. a, a real expert like Keith. <laughs> <laughs> but I, when, when we were, when I was 12, we moved from Baltimore County mm-hmm. as a family to Mexico. Mm-hmm. And my parents would throw six kids into an old 1962 Ford station wagon mm-hmm. and take us out into the swamps of Veracruz, Mexico, mm-hmm. birding. And the exuberance of what I saw there really was totally addictive. Mm-hmm. And it led to me ultimately getting a PhD on birds at Berkeley um, under a man named Frank Patelka, mm-hmm. who was an inspiring leader. Um, and uh, I, I just, just pursued that side of my life. And now what it is, it's, it's respite from all the bad news I face every day. Well, speaking of the bad news, just for a moment, I want to ask you both, uh, in your direct experience of seeing uh, birds and, and watching for them, what has happened, uh, let's just start with you, Keith, to the bird population uh, that comes through the Point Reyes seashore? Has it changed over the last 20 years or so? Well, there's you know various species that have done well, various species that have probably stayed the same, and various species that have, are on a decline, um, depending on which species in the habitat concerns. So most of it has to do with habitat destruction. There's other things about you know so many species that occur in the Arctic that are that are really hurting. Things like ivory gull. You know, ivory gulls just really shouldn't leave the ice. And now they're showing up in Georgia and Arizona and Central California and places they just don't really belong. Um, There are uh, success stories. There are certain species that are increasing in population. We're lucky in Marin that that there's just such a nice, robust, stable environment in so many levels. Yeah, there's certain species you could pick, like black rail, for instance, and snowy plover and and things, you know, and the effects of things like the exploding population of ravens on on nesting birds, like the snowy plovers, um, spotted owls, you know, they're herding all over the place, but they're doing pretty well here. 
um, but maybe not for long because the barred owls are moving in and they're, you know, hybridizing with them and outright eating them, you know. So there's just things that are happening amongst the bird in the bird world. So there's good stories and bad, but for the most part, it seems like I would imagine that things are doing doing fairly well in areas where, you know, we're so lucky to have so many people kind of monitoring them and, and staying in check. But, you know, when you hear about, oh my gosh, on the Fairlawn Islands this year, they had a complete nesting failure of Brant's cormorants, or Casson's auklets have done really, really well this year. There's just... There's just all these, you know, but things like olive-sided flycatcher, the, the quick three beers bird, the ones that we hear all summer long doing that <whistles> quick three beers. Olive-sided flycatchers are just on a steep decline globally. No one seems to really know. They winter down in South America. Is it something down there that's affecting them? Is it ravens nailing them in their nests here in the, you know, in the boreal forests? What? Who knows? So it's just, it's kind of a big mystery. Some things are measurable and other things just probably aren't, you know. Pete, you have a very global view of these issues. What do you see happening with birds? Well, I see global things happening in my backyard. Mm -hmm. Um, when I moved to Charlottesville uh, in 1990, in May, I could hear five whippoorwills at once mm -hmm. for a couple months continuously. I'm lucky if I hear one whippoorwill a year now. Mm. Um, and uh, I know some places in the county where I can find them, but I, it's just the, the change is overwhelming. Mm -hmm. And most likely, that's being driven by the enormous expansion of soy in uh, Brazil and Paraguay, where vast areas of that region, which is where some uh, whippoorwills, some whippoorwills winter, uh, are just being gobbled up by, um, by soy plantations. Mm -hmm. It's truly astounding, the rate at which that's mm -hmm. happening. I actually got into, I, I left ornithology and began work as a, on endocrine disruption in endocrinology, in part because uh, the population I was studying of sanderlings in Peru and Chile in the mid-1980s appeared to be dropping by about 95% mm. over a 10-year time span. Sure. Um, and I began to wonder what role the rampant use of pesticides in agriculture in the river systems of Peru that flow then out to the beach where the birds uh, gain a lot of weight before they migrate north, mm. what role that might be playing in the, that population decline. Mm -hmm. uh, and that then led me through an intellectual process where I realized, wait a second, the birds aren't doing it to themselves. We're doing it. So if you want to work on bird conservation, work on changing human behavior. Mm -hmm. But then you can't change human behavior by appealing to people's interest in birds because no, there aren't many people on the planet that care about birds as much as Keith does. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so actually that's what led me into a focus on how do chemicals affect children's health? Mm -hmm. And I, and I retooled, I made friends in the endocrine community like Tyrone, others, mm -hmm. and that's what I, I now publish uh, in that field, mm -hmm. in part because of originally this interest in why were sanderlings disappearing from the coasts of Peru. Mm -hmm. Exactly. I mentioned my colleague Burr Hanneman, co-founder of Commonweal, also was the director of the Point Reyes Bird Observatory for a number of years, a, a bird uh, enthusiast. Uh, Burr, I'd just like to ask you if you have any reflections either on the show or comments on Keith's work and Pete's work. Any any thoughts on all of this? Well, nothing I can add to the show. It's uh, marvelous. It's great to see 
case uh, worth uh, so much of it uh, for the book all in one place and up on the wall and uh, to see Pete's work for the first time. It's really a treat. Thanks. Great. Great. Well, I want to give you all more time just to enjoy the show and enjoy each other. So I'm going to ask both Keith and Pete for any last reflections uh, on uh, being here today and uh, this work that you do. Anything else that I haven't asked you that you'd like to say, Keith? Well, um, you know, I just might just encapsulate just by saying that most of you probably already know this, but this all of this art was being done. Um, I've spent like 16 years doing 1,400 paintings, 1,400 individual portraits, and these things, I call them a plate. You don't eat food off of them, but they're called a plate. Uh, there's 70 of them to depict 320 species of birds that occur annually in the Sierra Nevada. And for all the years that we were doing it, it was gonna be just one book, a field guide. And a few years ago, we decided that the book that we were making was too big for anybody to carry in the field. So we decided to make a second book uh, to split it into two books. And the book that's now out, and you can see a copy or two of them over against the wall over there, is Birds of the Sierra Nevada, Their Status, Distribution, and Natural History by Ted Beatty and Ed Pandolfino published by UC Press, and that book is not an identification guide, however, it's uh, the life history of all the birds, talking about their nesting and breeding and biology, and whether they're increasing and decreasing, and why, and unanswered questions about the birds, and just everything about their lives, but not necessarily how to tell them apart. And so now, I'm doing a field guide, because the first book, the one that's over here, only uses about a quarter of the work that I did, kind of an iconic female, male, female, male, female, male, of every species to adorn the text. But now I'm doing the field guide, which I'm writing the text for, uh, and all of the art, all 100% of the art that I've done will be in the field guide. So I just want to make sure that you all knew that this was for something other than just, you know, uh, want, you know, I, why would someone spend 16 years and then use a, <laughs> a quarter of their work to not use it for anything? So that's, I just want to make sure people knew that, but Thank you. it's a pleasure to be here. Thank you. Pete, any last uh, it is an honor to be here with Keith, first of all. And again, thank you, Michael, for hosting this event and the, and the show. Um, I, I'm not nearly as patient as Keith. Uh, um, uh, <laughs> um, I, but I can guarantee one thing. I will, if you see someone out there on the beaches of Limitor with a couple big lenses crawling in the sand towards it, flock of western sandpipers it's probably me uh, and i'm there as much as i can be uh, every chance i get so, and commonweal gives me that opportunity several times a year pete do you want to mention your bird call app <laughs> oh yeah how many of any birders here use bird's eye the i was part of a team beginning in 2009 that uh, developed a birding app uh, in collaboration with uh, cornell Laboratory of Ornithology that gets, how many of you send records into eBird? Okay, so there are 40 million records going in a year. And we figured out how to suck data out of it so you can have it in your app. Um, and it's called Bird's Eye. It was New York Times app of the week when it came out in 2009. Uh, it's expanded dramatically. We now cover the world. Um, and we also developed a companion app called Bird Log, which allows you to be in the field and submit data to eBird. 
And now roughly half of the 40 million a year are people like me and Keith going through old records and putting them into eBird. And the other half are people who are out there in the field daily, or however often, sending their records in. And half of those 20 million that are putting in new records are coming through BirdLog. Uh, eBird loves it because the data they get from BirdLog when you're in the field is much more accurate than what happens if you try and remember what you saw, even if you wrote it down. And so it's, it's also becoming a tremendous conservation tool, which is very satisfying. Well, Pete and Keith, thank you both, thank you. and thank you all for coming. Let me just add, please, please sign the log. We'd love to get a complete list of everyone who's here. Enjoy the show, and we're, we're just honored and grateful that this wonderful community has come together to support your work. Thank oh, you both. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. You've been listening to a conversation with Pete Myers, Keith Hansen, and Michael Lerner. Thank you for joining us at the New School at Commonweal. The New School at Commonweal is directed by Michael Lerner. Our program coordinator is Kara Epstein. Our audio engineer is Ken Adams. And our theme music is by Suzanne Chiani. Please visit our website at tns.commonweal.org. That's tns.commonweal.org. Commonweal is spelled C-O-M-M-O-N. W-E-A-L. You can also find us on Facebook.